Well, it's just gone the end of the month. Who'd believe we're in through the 11th month already? David Bacher from Corian is going to bring us up to date on what happened last month and uh, where we might be going in November. David, that's a little bit of an open question. What happened last month? My goodness, we've had a month, haven't we? You've had the uh, October the 7th invasion into Israel. You've had stock markets worrying, fretting like crazy, and then suddenly starting to boom in the past couple of days. Of course, that came too late for October. But generally, October, through the years, through the decades, hasn't always been a good month, hasn't always been a happy month for investors. Correct. In fact, uh, I think um, the saying sell in May and go away would have actually worked out quite nicely this year because the tail end of the year has been difficult. Markets are down to the end of October, close to 10%, probably you know across the board in terms of different regions. So that's pretty close to correction territory. So it's been a very difficult three months. Um, and if you looked at our, our Korean video, you know, the month's theme was um, the month of Red October. And it was a play on the famous wartime film, um, Hunt for Red October. Uh, and it was indeed a month of red, a month of blood in the Middle East, as you said, and a month of red for the equity markets. Well, we are going to talk about the fantasy fund manager at the end of this conversation, because that's now also come to an end. Um, or just about there. But before we get to that, maybe let's let's talk about the month as a whole. Was there much difference between what happened in South Africa and elsewhere in the world? No, we're pretty much down the same amount um, as all markets were. I think it was actually quite a unison uh, pullback. Uh, same concerns globally, uh, the war in the Middle East and in October, which... Uh, you know, rates higher for longer was the theme that has changed quickly over the last few days. But, you know, that affected markets across the board. When you say it's changed in the last few days, we can't ignore the fact that uh, I suppose it's like when you talk about uh, company results, post-balance sheet events, they've been quite dramatic uh, if you consider what's happened in November and we're only into the third day. Correct. It's... um you know, I think a lot of emphasis these days is is looking at what the Fed is doing in interest rate policy, and that drives a lot of asset allocation decisions. And what we said on this program last time was, was as I said, people were concerned and the Fed gave indications that interest rates uh, would be higher. And then uh, on, uh, I think it was Wednesday night, you had a slight change in the rhetoric. Um, the Fed uh, chairman uh, alluding to, you know, content concerns also about financial restrictions and and the market took that as uh, a change in theme for you know from rates higher for longer to maybe rates not much higher for much not longer so um, that's enough to to signal a, a policy change and yeah interest rates are crucial for valuing all instruments and hence hence the big rally in the last few days
Sure. Actually, the RAN was actually, and it's very sensitive to its starting point, uh, was actually pretty much one of the few currencies that were marginally better relative to the dollar. Um, so uh, our currency was actually reasonably strong. Um, it's actually gone nowhere over the last three months, um, despite all our concerns. But I think bonds was a standout performer, up 1.7%. And if you remember on the show last time, that was the asset class we thought offered you a very good real return given um, you know the risks in the portfolio and there are risks to South Africa but you must also understand you know you 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 get paid to actually evaluate what those risks you can't avoid risks and uh, the yield of you know uh, the ten year yield was close to twelve eighty twelve ninety that's significantly above inflation so I think that was the reason why. Um, uh, you saw our bond market really rallying uh, relative to other asset classes. And then I think the other standout for for month of October was gold. And gold generally shields uh, portfolios or supposed to shield portfolios in times of uncertainty, in times of war, um, and, it's, and, and it rallied. And the gold in, in spot prices rallied about 7.5%. And that was a major catalyst for our gold shares on the market. If you look at Harmony, gold up 22%, gold fields up 21%. Gold certainly glittered in October. Yeah, I mean, they deem it, I don't know, I think they call it the digital gold or the liquid gold. Um, yeah, th that's certainly had the same kind of um, tailwinds. And in addition to that, there were some rumors and investors betting on promising regulation in the US, uh, which was a further catalyst. And that rallied, I think, close to 27% for the month. So very volatile asset class. I wouldn't put all your eggs into Bitcoin. I personally don't understand it as much as other people. So pretty stay away from it. But just know that... Uh, yeah, you're going to be in for a ride uh, with that kind of volatility. It's a very interesting view that Stafford Marcy has, and you'll be able to watch that interview on Biz News TV in the course of the day or the weekend. Uh, Bitcoin, though, up 27% in the month, as uh, you guys at Corian have reported. Looking at the individual asset returns, and I guess it also illustrates how the past month has been pretty difficult for lots of areas, excepting when you go a little bit further into or a little bit more background, um, global equities are still over a year having done really well. South African equities over three years, good double-digit growth. So I guess this is an argument for being invested and staying invested. I think that's the key. Um so, you know, if you look at market pullbacks, I think I was looking at a, a, some research the other day, there's been 27 times since World War II that the S&P has had a correction, i.e. it's gone lower than 10%. And generally, those are good times to, to not shy away from the market, to invest and take a long-term view. So investing is, you know, you shouldn't be looked at from month to month or, or day to day. It should be looked in terms of your time frame. And over time, investors get rewarded for taking on volatility and risk. That doesn't mean 
as you don't diversify your portfolios across regions, managers, sectors. Um, but it does mean, you know, over time, uh, the the risk of drawdowns is probably over the short term is probably less of a risk than not beating inflation over the long term. And equities and risky assets do beat inflation over the long term. I'm I'm so pleased that we're actually dwelling a little on this subject, this subject of volatility and the ability to outperform in the long term, because a lot of people, thousands and thousands of South Africans, have been caught up in this BHI trust scam. And what this chap, Craig Warrener, was selling through the various brokers who supported him was removing volatility. That's effectively what he was selling. He was saying to people that if you put your money with Investec or RMB, and particularly he, he, he pulled a lot of money from those two private banks, then they will give you maybe 6% return. If you put it with me, look at my track record. I give you between 12 and 15% a year, every year. And most months I can show you that I actually make money, don't lose money because I've got a secret. I've got a secret source and I'm a day trader and I'm the only one who's got this casino type um, uh, calculation or, or, or uh, special insight that no one else has got. And I will guarantee, not guarantee, but I will give that to you. And that's not the way investing works, David. And I suppose we know time and again, Ponzi schemes have shown us that one of the biggest uh, indicators is that they give you this consistent return. Whereas investing, it's all over the place. It is volatile. But over the long term, if you grit your teeth and you, you go through the difficult times, you will come out better. Correct. I mean, that story on BHI, I listened to you, to your interviews. It's just one of the saddest things. And I, I feel for those clients who didn't have the know-how and the knowledge to 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 avoid such a scheme. Um, but there, there's two points there that, you know, we're, we're looking from the outside in that I'd like to touch on. One is exactly the point you raised. When you invest in a something, that, you know, investing is difficult. Investing is not an easy ride. If things sound too good to be true and you're getting rates with such little volatility, three or four percent of what you got to that you get in in the bank, you've got to ask your yourself the questions, how is that possible where the rest of the asset management industry, you know, work tirelessly, look at the markets, scan the whole globe and can't get those returns. And there's very clever people in the industry trying to get the best risk adjusted return. How is it possible for an unregulated fund to, to do this? That should be your your number one um, flag, so to speak. And the other important point is, you know, lots of asset managers and the industry can complain about the high levels of regulation and how difficult it is to actually operate a business in South Africa. But with that comes with us so much investor protection in terms of investing in a regulated fund. And the costs and the pain, I think, is worth it because the disclosures in terms of investing in a collective investment scheme, even hedge funds in South Africa are regulated hedge funds. They have high levels of disclosure. You cannot do a lot of things that, that, that I would say people who 
who are looking to take cut corners, it's very difficult to do it. Managers actually don't even look after the money. We have trust companies and independent administrators. So, you know, there is definitely comfort of being in a regulated world. And in South Africa, in terms of funds, I think we've got an exceptional uh, financial uh, regulatory body, which, which does mostly protect in investors. And um, uh, it's just so sad that this unregulated product uh, saw so many victims. It's often that thing of, well, you know, we're in a special club. We're in a secret little society. Only we know. Don't tell too many people. Otherwise, they too are going to uh, be able to benefit. Only special people can get invited, etc., etc. It's it's a, it's a terrible scam. And often one sees this playing out all over the world. Bernie uh, Madoff did it. Now we've got our own Bernie Madoff in South Africa. But on, on happier matters or perhaps uh, issues that, that we can, uh, can control <laughs> rather than those that we can't control, uh, when we have a look at South African equity returns, they've been awful in the past months. But over the past year, not so bad. And then you go three to five years and excepting for property, you would probably have done okay. Well, you certainly... Uh, would have had to go through that volatility. But that's really the story, the big story perhaps, that comes out of um, exposure of something like this Ponzi scheme. Correct. Uh, I think it's always important when you're looking at numbers to to look at what the time frame was and what most importantly came out and where the starting point was. So three years was, you know, uh, ago was like a, the depth of covid or just coming out three months after the depth of COVID. So asset classes took a, a big hit in South Africa. So it's a quite a nice sweet spot from, uh, you know, financial shares were, were decimated, the banking shares were decimated, life insurance companies. Uh, but three years since then is a lovely sweet spot for looking at, at how those asset classes did. But your point remains, you know, equities have done 15% in, in South Africa um, and that's, you know, I would say more than twice what you would have got in, in fixed interest investments. So a good outcome if you didn't panic at the lows of, of, of COVID. Just don't panic. Invest and just don't panic. And I guess that's got to be uh, the story of the winner of the Fantasy Fund Manager. Uh, I know you've got, uh, with two days to go, Raymond Stain was just fractionally ahead of Grant Morris, who... The two of them seem to have pulled away slightly from Guy McRobert. Uh, what's the situation now or the latest? So I looked at it before we, we went on air. I think Raymond's pulled away a little bit more. So he's the uh, out-and-out favorite to be our inaugural fantasy fund manager, Victor. Um, so, yeah, interesting looking at that list. Uh, both Grant and Guy McRobert is coming third, work for Klukas Gray. So they're having a, a good time of it. Um Anthony Hall actually works at Corian. Um, uh, and Brett Rubin actually is a client of ours. So, you know, I know four out of the six people in our circle. Um, I'm probably uh, rooting for Raymond um, because uh, at least uh, I don't really know him and it was, you know, the, the least conflicted winner, I suppose. <laughs> is, is he a, a, a retail private investor or is he also a professional? I think he's a financial advisor. Um, I actually tried to get hold of him today. Uh, he did win one of the weeks, and I know I've spoken to every every winner, but there's been many. Um, so, yeah, I'm actually going to have a chat to him later today. And in the past 
month. Uh, the top performer was Tex Tainer. I had that one. I have that one in my portfolio, but it didn't help me because I also had pick and pay. And I guess that's, uh, that's the power of diversification that one, uh, I think I also might have had Sibanya for a period of time, uh, which is the, the worst performing share. So what was the best strategy looking back? If you could start again on Fantasy Fund Manager, how would you have played it? So I think the Textain is a great example of the little tricks you can do to get ahead of the market if you were studious. So Textain actually came out with a sense announcement after the market closed on the Friday. Those people who watched uh, the market and saw the sense news could have, you know, front run that because the game only starts at nine o'clock. Now we knew about that in terms of the game. Then it is a game as well. You must realize that it's like when you play fantasy football. You know, when a player is injured or is going to be the start line, he's not going to play, and you make your changes. So, um, but I think it does lend yourself to the investment professionals winning this game because they are watching the markets and watching developments and can react. So it becomes less of a, a game of luck and more of a game of hard work and, and studies and knowing what's happening in the market. So I think that's actually a positive development. So that would be my number one tip is actually know your portfolio of 60 shares, know what's happening in the market and try and find those little competitive advantages of some sense announcement or 10 cent trading up in in China uh, before the market opens or, or down and, and, and move your portfolio accordingly. So that will probably be the biggest learning curve. And that's really what the fantasy fund manager was all about or the intention was to get people to learn while they play or educate themselves. Correct. And uh, we actually have a partnership with UJ University in their finance department to are quite pioneering, um, and they've actually made for their one course this game compulsory. We've had our lead, leaderboard, and then one of our investment professionals uh, recently uh, went to go and discuss the game with them and share his experience. So it is all about education. It is about introducing people to the markets. And I, I think for a very first year of having close to 5,000 people playing was an unbelievable success. Uh, and something that we can really build on. And I think another great point is, you know, I look back at my career. Um, I started the investment world in 1998 during the the Asian crisis. And it's a great starting point when you start your career, start investing, and you realize it's not so easy. And people's lives and investments and savings are at risk. And how... You know, you actually have to use diversification and you you have to know what can go wrong and not be greedy. And this game, I think the timing of a difficult environment actually is a good start for people actually understanding investments. If it was all a one-way ticket and off to the races, I think that wouldn't have been as strong a lesson. David, thank you for that. We're going to close, though, on a, a very different note. We spoke last month about our pro tiers at the Cricket World Cup. Uh, we, we know we've had the Amaboka Boka uh, bringing home the Webb Ellis Trophy. Do you think the pro tiers can n- now, given what's happened in the past month, I know you were a bit skeptical a month ago, but given your uh, cricketing pedigree, uh, I would listen to your suggestions above most other people's. Do you think they can bring it home? 
I was definitely better calling the bond market in the, our cricket team last month, so take it from where it comes. But I think last time I said we have great players. Uh, the worry was uh, our, well, my concern about our depth in our batting, our number seven and eight position. And Janssen has actually seems to have become a, a very good and capable all-rounder. And even um, uh, Marcel Couture, uh, not Marcel Couture, Couture, I forgot his first name. Michael, um, is it? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure. It's gone, I've gone blank there. But even him, he seems to be quite capable with the bat. So I think our depth is less of a worry, but we still haven't really been t- tested in that department. Can we win the World Cup? I think we've got as good a chance as... Uh, as any of the other four semi-finalists. So it's going to be a, a great, um, great event. David Bacher from Corian, and I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com. 